Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. Receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. Have accessed entry 495.NU2653, certificate number 28876. The four color map problem. Uh, so now let's do this one. Well, you could use blue again. And we can use blue again for that one. Excellent. So here we've got, we can't use blue, we can't use purple. We can use orange. Again. We can use orange, why not? So we'll do this one in orange. Uh, and now we need a fourth color. We have to go to the fourth colour, do we? Uh, yeah, yeah. Purple, blue and orange uh, are being used. This does have to go into the fourth colour. I assume you're like me, John, and you spent a lot of time as a kid looking at maps with, a, you know, with an atlas open in front of you. Road atlas in the car or a world atlas at home. Maps have played a very important role in my life. I'm a map collector, a map uh, pour over. <clears throat> Were you a National Geographic kid on any level? I was. I was. I, I studied the National Geographic. I, um, Are you I, a I member co- of collect- the National Geographic Society? I never was, I don't think. I collect globes, as you know. Um, but also, I traveled a lot in a, pre, in a pre-phone world. So, uh, atlases. I have atlases from every year, I think, from the mid-80s on. Coffee-stained, you know, dirty atlases. Ram McNally Road Atlas. Yeah, I have a I have a couple of atlases that look pretty trashed. I don't th- I don't think you have to buy a new one every year. They always tried to upsell you on getting a new one every year at, at, at Walmart or whatever. What ended up happening was you clean out the car, you take the atlas out, and then you head out on on out into the world. And when you get to the place where you where you don't know what what's coming, you pull into a service station and have to buy a new atlas. Also, they get torn up. You know, the cover of a road atlas lasts you know, six nanoseconds. For some reason, a dog, I was staying in a farmhouse one time and their dog grabbed my atlas and took it out into the pigsty. And it was the, I didn't, I couldn't find another map at the time. And I went out and had to pull this poop covered atlas out and try to wash it off without like wetting the map so badly that they, and so I still have this book of maps that's, like ripped up, you can see dog tooth marks in it, and it's covered with poo. That the Discordian dog <laughs> took, and he did. His, his name was Fnord. He didn't want to. Oh, uh, uh, the futurelings are all uncomfortable. You can't again. do it in every show. Um, the uh, it was crucial that I have you know, and there's like a tooth 
a tooth hole right through a place where I needed to know where the crossroads was. <laughs> anyway, yes, I am a map head. My grandparents' basement was, you know, full of National Geographic magazines, as all grandparents' basements were at the well, time. Some people's grandparents' basements were full of Playboy magazines. If they had bad <laughs> grandparents. We never, you never, we never, never allowed to go to our bad grandparents' house. And I, and I, not being a subscriber myself, I didn't know that, you know, every couple of months there was some big fold-out map. So without mm. asking anybody, I just went through decades of National Geographic's and took out all the maps and like just folded them all over the floor. Oh, and my poor grandparents came home and found the world in miniature on their wall-to-wall carpeting. But I loved those colorful National Geographic uh, maps. My dad always liked atlases that had hypsometric maps. What are those? Those are the ones that look like old-timey classroom maps where the color of the map varies with elevation. Like lowland oh, yeah. is green, but then the mountains get like purple and then brown, I think. Purple Mountains Majesty. That doesn't have a quicker coinage than hypsometric? Hypsometric is Greek for measurement of height, I guess. Wouldn't we just say topographical map? It's a kind of topic. Topographical map is any map that lets you see to, lets you see mountains. But right. this is one where the color changes with elevation. Oh, I see. And they're kind of misleading because, you know, a desert would be green if it was at the right elevation to be green. Right. That or, is misleading. Whereas mountains are purple whether or not they're actually purple. Why didn't they design it so that deserts were brown and forests were green and mountains were purple? That's a different that's a different way to color a map. Yeah. Like you see those as well. And those are much more common today that we when we're used to seeing aerial imagery right, sure. on on digital mapping. You know, we expect that and the green purple thing looks very old-timey to us. You know, I have two big storage bins full of National Geographic maps uh, dating back to the very dawn of the National Let's Geographic. Let's do it. Let's break them out. <laughs> the rest of this show is just going to be us uncrinkling maps and then trying to refold them oh, back up. Look, 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 look. It still has the railroad that's torn up many years later. Central America. <laughs> I, I once interviewed some folks at Rand McNally who had just left their big old brick warehouse of a headquarters that they'd been in for almost 100 years and had moved to a smaller suburban office park. And they had a room full of old maps and they told employees, hey, take what you want. But then they just threw away just tens of thousands of old railroad maps. Oh, the villains. Beautiful. What were they going to do? Nobody wanted them. Nobody wants paper maps anymore. Me, me. I want old railroad maps. I want old railroad maps too. Um, but I didn't like, I didn't like my dad's atlases that, you know, cause it was the, the, the green and the purple made it very hard to kind of see anything. Were I, these hardbound atlases? Sure. Yeah. You know, the Rand McNally or the, uh, the Phillips or the Hammond. Right. Uh, but not leather bound. Cause I mean, we both have some experience with leather bound atlases too, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we are leather dudes. Yes, we are. <laughs> And we are map daddies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had kind of a, we had a nice British one that had, I think, some kind of classy looking black binding, like it was a Bible or something, but it was not the nice leather ones. You know, I, I enjoy order. I like a, I a, a clean, a clean modern look. And so I really like the National Geographic ones where each country, they were political maps yeah. where each country is, has a different color according to, to its uh, political you know, each state of the U.S. is a different right. division, so therefore it's pink or orange or whatever. National Geographic uses six different colors as its palette. The ocean's blue, but countries can be rimmed in pink, orange, yellow, green, lavender, and beige, I think. Huh. An um, awful lot of colors that they left out of there. For example, what would you like to see? Well, where's blue? Blue's the ocean. 
Oh, I see. Where's red? Yeah, no, red. Red is pink. There's pink, I guess. I mean, they've chosen these kind of very pleasing pastels. And this is the look National Geographic maps have had for like a century. Right. Where, you know, it's it's bright and appealing, but it also, you know. It's pastel. Easy to read. I and, guess it's easy, ease of like for type to pop out of that's right. pastel color. I get it. That's right. Typesetting on maps is very tricky, it turns out. And, you know, seeing maps this way, have you ever had the experience of sitting down and coloring a map? Yes. I think I used to do this. I had coloring books as a kid that had maps. Well, this is a game. This is like a uh, cocktail game or like a game in a bar. Like, can you freehand draw the United States with all the, uh, with all right. the states? Can right. you do it? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I can do it. I'm better in the, like, uh, I can, I'm good in the West and the East and in the middle sometimes. It's tough to get all those square Indiana borders. Or, or Idaho, or, or sorry, or Iowa is not quite as wide as it should be or something. Yeah. Um, have you seen Al Franken do it? That was always his party trick. No. He, he, would, do, he would do it on the campaign trail too. Draw the know? United States. Of course I'm patriotic. Look. And, I, he, and, he, and it looked pretty good? Yeah. He, you know, he did a perfect, you know, this is some very well rehearsed thing. Right. It was clearly his bar trick. But I, you know, I realized coloring maps that you did not need six. Hmm. National Geographic was using too many colors. What, you, really? That you could get by with less. There have to be states in the United States that have borders with more than five other states, Yeah, right? I think Tennessee and Missouri each touch seven other states. But the thing is, you don't need eight colors. Oh, right. Because, you know, Tennessee touches North Carolina on one end. But Arkansas and North Carolina could be the same color if you wanted. Because they don't touch each other. Uh, I see. Right. That makes sense. And in fact, it's been known for, this is not something that was known or studied much in antiquity, but it's, it's been known for a couple centuries that you, re- you can do any map with four colors such that no two divisions of the same color will share an edge. Interesting. Let me just sit and chew on that in my mind for one second. Let's all be quiet for a second <laughs> while John's mind <laughs> chews on this. <laughs> Wow. And, you know, and this is not, it's not strictly political. Like on a, on a map today, Alaska and the United States would have to be the same color for right. political reasons. Right. But the assumption here is that any two uh, disjoint areas can be whatever color they want, but it, it, no edge can be shared between two divisions with the same color. Right. Uh, and a point doesn't count because otherwise, imagine a, a series of, divisions that all meet at a point in the middle, like a pizza. Oh, I see. Right. You, you, those would not all have to be, if it was 20 pieces of pizza, those would not have to be 20 different colors. Sure. They can touch at the point, but because there wouldn't be any confusion of right. order. Right. right. There, you wouldn't see a pink edge meeting a pink edge. When a pink edge meets a pink edge coming through the rye. Interestingly, this does not appear to be anything that the, the ancients worried about. Uh, the first reference to someone thinking about coloring a map and the number of colors it would take such that nothing borders its own color comes from, uh, you know, the mathematician Mobius once had a, I think it's Auguste Mobius, the Mobius strip guy. Yeah. This is why he invented the Mobius strip because he only had four colors and he, (laughs) and one strip. Yes. Auguste, Auguste Mobius. Mobius, I guess. The uh, the Mobius strip guy. We never say Mobius strip, but I no, guess we should. We don't say the uh, Hubble telescope either. The uh, He had a geometry professor who, who presented the problem like this. Once upon a time, a king in India had a large kingdom and five sons. 
Maybe he had a kingdom and five large sons. I don't know. His five la- large sons. His last will and testament decreed that after his death, the five sons should partition the kingdom in such a way that each one's region would have a common boundary, not just a single point, with each other's regions. How was one to divide the kingdoms? And that's just a way to, that's a way to restate the four-color map problem, which yeah. is there is no way for five different sons to each have a territory that all share an edge with the other. That isn't a point. That is not a point, right. If it's a point, they can all meet in the center, and then you don't have to worry about coloring or, in this case, the border. What uh, if you had a, um, what if you had like a international free city like Jerusalem at the center? And it's all the colors. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But except for this one mention of uh, Murbius saying, you heard a geometry professor say this in the early 19th century, nobody ever thought much about the problem of map coloring until 1852 when a British scientist and mathematician who's moved to South Africa named Francis Guthrie, you know, in, in his lifetime, he was more interested in cataloging all the shrubs of South Africa. Sure. Uh, who wouldn't be? Now that you have identified it as a pursuit, I'm wondering, I feel like I've wasted my life. Did you not know this was an option? I, <laughs> your gu- your I, guidance I counselor was too busy uh, giving you <laughs> marriage certifications to tell you about shrub cataloging in South America. South I Africa. have felt, uh, I've felt very strongly that, uh, that my work categorizing and cataloging the shrubs of South Africa was just a layperson's interest. I didn't realize it was a profession. I think maybe there, it's richer for that. I think that so. you were doing it for well, just, that's true. You know, it used to be about the shrubs. I did it for for my own self, not for anyone else. Francis Guthrie is just idly coloring a map of all the counties of England. He sounds like one of us. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> what are you working on there, Ken? Just oh. just coloring all the counties of England, Mom. And he realizes that you can do any part of the map with just four colors. Hmm. And he wonders what the mathematical basis is for that. He has a brother who's a scientist like him. He, and he writes to his brother, Frederick, in England and says, hey, you're a mathematician. What's the proof for this? Why is it that you can color any map with just four colors? Frederick Guthrie thinks about it, looks at it, can't figure it out. If he's like, if, if you're like me, the first thing he did is he tries to find a counterexample. Right. It's like the old, uh, you can only fold a piece of paper... X number of times. The first thing you try to do is fold a piece of paper one more time. Right. And you think it's going to be so easy. You know, you draw a circle and you divide it in half and then maybe you do a bigger circle around it. But the second you try to, you know, put your fifth guy in and wiggle it back to your first guy, you've, Can't it, do it. you've interrupted some other border and now you've created a new island that can be its own color. You know, anytime you try to reconnect back to the first one, you've, you've broken two in half and now you've got two that are disconnected. They can be the same color. So Frederick shows it to uh, Augustus de Morgan, the great mathematician he's working with. And de Morgan assumes it will be easy to This becomes a geometry problem. It is a geometry problem, but in a field that's, you know, graph theory, basically. Right. A field that did not exist at the time where you've got a series of nodes which are connected by lines to the other nodes that it touches. Right. You know, you can turn any, any map into a graph like this where the lines are the borders and the nodes are the countries. And so then it doesn't matter what the shape of the territory is. It just matters which nodes are connected to which other nodes. You just described my relationship history. <laughs> yeah, if you, you don't want to date too much in the same friend group. It becomes a graph theory problem for sure. Don't date at the office either. 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So DeMorgan uh, can't do it, and he enlists other mathematicians. He starts writing letters to friends. You know, he writes to the great William Rowan Hamilton, whose name we remember every time we think about a Hamiltonian circuit today. I think about it every day. And DeMorgan says, uh, I can't do this thing. He says, if you retort with some very simple case, which makes me out to be a stupid animal, I think I must do as the Sphinx did. Kill you with a sword. Uh, I think jump off a cliff. When oh. when the Sphinx's riddle was answered, the Sphinx was so bummed right. that it immediately jumped off a cliff. What a loser. Like, finally, one day of adversity in, in the Sphinx's job. <laughs> yeah. Have a be a good be a good sport is what I tell my kid. What a bad loser! Don't be a sphinx. Odysseus, uh, you know who is it? Theseus, who answers the riddle of the sphinx? Probably Theseus. Well, that seems like something we should know, but we don't have to. We don't have to take it out of the show. Let's just find who answered the riddle of the sphinx. We now know that John is one of these people who types full questions into Google <laughs> with a capital W <laughs> and a question mark, like your dad. Uh, it was Theseus, right? Uh, when Oedipus traveled to oh, Thebes, Oedipus, the course. Sphinx posed the riddle to him. He said the answer is a human being because a human being walks on all fours in early life, on two legs as an adult, and with a stick in old age. You just did the Jeopardy thing where you did the answer first. That's right. And the people of Thebes appointed Oedipus to be their king for this riddle answer. No wonder the Sphinx jumped off the cliff. I feel like the Sphinx was just let down by, you know, it's one job to keep people out of Thebes. Yeah. It makes you wonder how Thebes is getting its food supply, uh, its entertainment gossip. People come and leave food at the border of Thebes and then Thebes, Thebesians. Thebans? <laughs> Thebans. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get clear of all my operating Thebans. If I have a big son, I'm definitely <laughs> going to name him Thebans. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, so DeMorgan says, I must be missing something here. This has got to be easy. Uh, show me my answer so I can jump off a, a rhetorical cliff. And Hamilton is just like, why are you even working on this? This is so dumb. Right. He's just pouting, Hamilton. Apparently he couldn't do it either. Yeah. So nobody can prove this. And, and how would you prove that it's impossible to draw a map with more than <laughs> four colors? I mean, uh, the easiest thing would be... A counterexample, if you could prove it wrong. Right, but this kind of math proof is always very confusing to me because there, there are seemingly ways to write a proof for a lot of, uh, a lot of spatial conundra. Did you do geometry in high school? I did. When I took geometry, it was just a bait and switch where you thought you were learning geometry, and really geometry was just the trick to get you to write proofs. Right. Because geometry is a handy system where everybody can see the triangles or whatever involved. And then there's a list of easily derivable axioms that kind of make sense. 
And so they can kind of train your brain to apply the right ones at the right time. And I despised it for that reason. I hated writing proof. It's a lie. It's yeah. a lie. Like yeah. you think you're going to be in there to learn the internal angles of a hexagon or something. Yes. And I instead. Wanted, I wanted to find the area under a curve and they were like, oh, you'll get to that in calculus or whatever. But first, but first we need you to prove that supplementary angles uh, add up to 180 degrees. Yeah. You have to spend a year chained to the yoke of this entry level proof writing. But the thing is, it's good stuff. Like the proofs are tedious because each step is just an incremental, obvious, dumb forehead slapping step away from the last step. Right. But that's actually the virtue in it because in a lot of fields, you do have to learn to take very precise, small steps. In, the, in yes. the, the highest of all the arts, computer programming, mm. it's, it's extremely important that you tell the computer every obvious thing, uh, you know, in a way that's clear in your head, or else if you just tell it what you think you mean, the computer will do the wrong thing. That's why you start every uh, computer program by saying, computer, do not turn yourself off. Dear computer. computer. <laughs> you know, I was a, I was a dancer and a singer and an artist and the, the, like, Obvious rote plod through those proofs killed my soul to the degree that I went to war with humankind this is as, I, I, as I am to this day. You stopped recording music and became a podcaster <laughs> because of two congruent angles. I did. That you I could did. on a parallelogram. My whole life was foreshadowed. John, prove that the opposite angles on a rhombus are supplementary. No! No! You're uh, not my father. So, for example, like you could prove it by counterexample. You could, mm -hmm. let's say I'm trying to prove that you could do any map with three colors. Are you really good at drawing the United States? I can, I can draw the United States okay. I don't want to get into like a contest. Uh, it's not a contest. But let's say we draw Oregon right. and then we draw California below it. Those have to be two different colors, right? Yes, but there's a little trick, of course, to the Oregon-California border. There. Oregon sticks out further. Yeah, it does. Oregon does stick out further. And that's going to become important, John, it in a does. moment. That's right. So now we put in Nevada. Okay, I'm drawing it here. We got California. So Oregon and California have to be different colors. Let's say they're whatever, blue and, blue and pink. Yeah, let's call it blue and pink. Oregon's pink, California's blue. Right. Now you put in Nevada. Nevada has to be the third color because it touches both, right? Right. So Nevada's green. Now we put in Arizona. It touches both blue California and green Nevada. Right. So in a three-color map, it must be pink like Oregon, right? Right. So now we have pink Oregon and Arizona divided by a green Nevada and a, and a blue California. And so far, everything works. We put in... You got some Utah coming in there. We put in Utah. Utah touches green. You know where this is going. Touches mm -hmm. green Nevada and it touches pink Arizona. So it must be... Blue, mm -hmm. like California. So far, got, everything works. Got we some think New Mexico. We think we can do a three-color map. But oh, now, Where's here's the big Idaho? problem. Now, Idaho, as it so often is in real life, becomes the problem. Idaho, ho, ho, because it's got some Montana happening. The place so bad, Hemingway shot himself there. <laughs> so Idaho touches pink Oregon, green Nevada, blue Utah. It's got to be some new fourth color no right. one's seen before. And we, that hasn't even brought... Uh, Washington and Montana into the game. Although, I, Washington, yeah, right. Washington being in a corner would be okay. But it complexifies. Yes. There's no, way, there's no way to just look at a group of four states and be like, ooh, these have to be th four to three different colors and then there's a problem. You really kind of have to move outward till there's a problem. Right. But it's very easy to show, for example, that the three-color map problem is not a problem. 
Um, we have proven that you can't do it with three colors just by finding a counterexample. But nobody can find a counterexample for the four-color case. What is the proof? There is a, a surely a proof written about the uh, how many times you can fold a piece of paper problem. Uh, well, what, what's going on there? That's more like the molecular qualities of paper. I mean, one thing about folding a piece of paper is you fold it 50 times and you've got like, it's larger than the known universe because it's doubling every time. Right. Um, but the, the fact that it bends is more quality, you know, the fact that you can't get it to bend more than seven times is more uh, what? Oh, now wait, it says here, the myth is you can't fold a piece of paper in half more than eight times. The reality is if you have a paper large enough and enough energy, you can fold it as many times as you want. The problem is if you fold it 103 times, the thickness of your paper will be larger than the observable universe. Oh, there we go. 93 billion light years. But there, uh, there was a girl who discovered you could do it by hand with a very long piece of toilet paper. That was her, that was her discovery that you can get up to eight or nine or something just with, with a human fist. I see. If you have a very long piece of paper. I'm going to try that immediately after this show. Anyway, with toilet paper? Yes. You should do that uh, on the show. Do you want me to go get a long piece Omnibus of toilet paper goes right into now? the <laughs> <laughs> nah, Futurelings, okay. if you still use toilet paper, which I'm hoping you have evolved beyond, you're living in a futureling world where your lily pads all have little uh I had a friend once who, bra- who bragged that he did not need toilet paper because he was like an animal in the woods and it just came out clean every time. Really? His little sphincter was so tight. The texture and consistency was such that uh, nothing was, no man was left behind. Just like little, little moose poops. Perfect in every way. Wow. Living the dream, I guess. I guess. I never, I never validated this in any kind of first person way. What's his religion? I (laughs) I will join it immediately. Yeah. Is it more brand, less brand? I don't know. Uh, De Morgan then tries his friend, Arthur Cayley, the great mathematician, whose insight is that we should try induction. Huh. Induction was a, a method of proof that had been used informally back to the Greeks, but was not made rigorous until uh, the 19th century. Induction means you prove that if something works for one case, then it also works for a slightly bigger case. Like if I can prove this is true for n elements, then is it also true for n plus one elements? And then once you've proven it's true for one, then you've got this little tool that lets you always go from one to two and from two to three yeah. and from three to four. So he starts trying to prove it with induction, but no dice. Within a few decades, two different British mathematicians have written two different proofs of the four-color map theorem. Here is why, in plain mathematical language, why you will never have five different shapes that all border each other. It's so great that you can throw a golden apple into a room full of mathematicians <laughs> and it will entertain them for 400 years. Well, it's a very, it's a very kind of a tantalizing case because it seems so simple and pure. It's something, that, it's something I discovered myself as a child coloring in maps, sitting and wondering, how many colors could I do this in? I remember asking my dad, how many colors do you need? And he was like, oh, this is very interesting. It's only four. And I was like, bull... You know, and I started drawing maps and sure enough, I could not do a, a five one. And so it's something so tantalizing because even a child can understand the case. It's so simple. And yet the brightest people in the world Don't cannot state, why. state in mathematical forms. Why? And that is a, when you can't say why, Oh, it's not just that they're tantalized and they want an answer and they want to publish first, but it's really like the why might be something fundamental. 
fully fundamental. That under, fully, not just partially. No. It might be... It's right there in fundamental. <laughs> it might be something that unearths new truths. Well, so much of science, and particularly theoretical science, is about looking over God's shoulder at creation, that the little proofs that lead to the big truths are, the, I think, what motivates a lot of mathematicians and physicists. There are people like me who like to push chairs into table, yeah. and they want to see the hidden order right. in God's complex universe. They're like, what the way with the who? And it, sure, you never know what, what, what key to the back door is going to be the one that throws the whole thing open. So in 1880, two different mathematicians provide these two different proofs by induction that they think are solid. And both proofs last for 11 years, satisfying everyone, until they are both separately disproved. Boom. Somebody finds the step and says, oh, but you didn't account for this. And in both cases, mathematicians study the proofs and agree, wow, you're right. Did they both jump off cliffs as <laughs> like, they like, should have done? Like the Sphinx. Yes, there's a lot of <laughs> ritual suicide in theoretical <laughs> mathematics. All, the, all, their, uh, all their co-workers all kind of look down into their coffee cups as they slowly, you know, like dead man walked. What's interesting is that one of these failed proofs, th this guy jumped too soon because one of them actually does serve as a proof of the five-color variant. Oh. One of these proofs did prove that you will never need more than five. But since everyone knows... Consolation prize. Since everyone really knows there's not a five out there, like everyone can kind of tell the longer they play with the problem that it sure seems like four is the hard limit. It's not interesting. Th there's also a six-color case, which is so trivial. I was tempted to do it on the omnibus. Hmm. And then I remembered how much people loved the Hilbert Hotel and Tesseract <laughs> entries. <laughs> but suffice it to say, you can derive it very easily from Euler's rule, which you may remember from geometry, that for all polyhedra, the number of points, the vertices on the polyhedra, minus the number of edges, plus the number of faces, is always equal to two. See, this is the kind of golden content that makes this podcast one of our nation's most beloved. That makes this one a very skippable entry. I do not remember anything from geometry. So, pl yes, please explain it all in excruciating detail. No, it's, I won't. But it's just a simple rule. You take a cube, you take the number of vertices, that would be... How many vertices in a one, cube? One, two, three, eight. Mm. You subtract the number of edges, which is... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Minus four. Minus twelve. So eight minus twelve is minus four. Right. And then you add the number of faces, which is six. Right. And you get two. This right. this holds for all polyhedra. Anyway, so if you if you imagine mapping a polyhedron onto a piece of paper like a map, then it's very easy to just move the numbers around and see, oh yeah, it's got to be six or less. That's what I do on a weekend anyway, is just mapping poly polyhedra in my head. But five is much more complicated. Five takes a couple sheets of paper and four continues to elude everyone. Hmm. Now I said mapping it onto a plane. Uh, you asked about the question of a map on a Merbius strip. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, the four color map problem only holds for planar geometry. It's oh. also true of maps on a sphere. Right. Which is good, since we live on a sphere. It's basically a plane. Maps on a, maps on a cylinder, you can also do with four. But uh, a map on a Mobius strip appears to need six different colors. Oh. It's possible okay. to draw a map on a Mobius strip, you know, because you've added a new way in which right, a right. country can wrap around and touch another country. Right. Uh, a map on a Mobius strip might need six. A map on a torus, if we assume the universe is a flat circle. Which is a kind of Mobius strip. Yeah, it's, it, it's a, it doesn't have a twist, but it's a donut. Yeah. If you were to dr make a map of a donut, which is a pretty big if. I don't. I mean, you and I have, have not been to the donut store in a while, but we could certainly try it. Why would you map a donut? Let's map a donut. Well, because, because you want to live in one of the sprinkle countries in the sprinkle hemisphere. As you're starting to eat a donut, I don't know how you are about 
I've never studied you eat, but I imagine that you're someone who eats methodically like I do. I don't just approach a plate of food with a giant wooden spoon and gobble it. I you have a plan. Eat a little bit here, a little bit there. I move this to there. You're like the Army Corps of Engineers with a yeah, bowl of chili. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm essentially uh, uh, Lord, Lord Cardigan out there with my uh, riding crop. <laughs> so on a Taurus, if you were to map a donut, you would actually need seven different colors. Oh, for all the possible countries that exist on your on your donut world. Sure, sure, sure. Your Terry Pratchett because they're coming world. around. They're doing the reach around. <laughs> yes, the countries are doing a reach around on the other countries, right? Which happens in our world as well. Yes, it does. The U.S. has done uh, many a reach around. That's why the U.S. is so problematic. We are reach around colonizers. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Along the way, as I've said, graph theory is developed. So, you know, you've got the best minds in the world working on this on weekends. Not developed in order to solve this problem, but developed independently for other reasons? No. like Like graph theory, which, you know, people have kind of vaguely been aware of as a game, is really pushed to new heights to try to solve the four-color map theorem. Because if you're trying to codify a map, you know, you need to reduce it to its essentials, which is just a bunch of nodes connected by a bunch of borders. And what's interesting is that the development of new theories in uh, in graph theory leads to interesting results in anything where you can use graph theory. And today that would include computer science, topology, linguistics. There are a lot of, you know, real sciences that were advanced by just these guys goofing around with a map crayon problem. Huh. And that's kind of a funny thing about the pursuit of abstract knowledge is you don't know when it's going to turn into practical knowledge. Well, it's funny to imagine a mathematician who gets this, some, somebody mentions this to him uh, over the the sink in the men's room and he starts to doodle on a, on a pad while he's talking on the phone. And pretty soon it takes over his whole career. Hopefully he's got tenure <laughs> because now his every waking hour is trying to get a fifth color onto a map. Yeah. He's working on the fields medal over here and he's Trying to color maps over here. But it's not a bad idea. Like, often that kind of pursuit of pure knowledge leads to important results. Right. And that's what everyone is hoping will happen here. The early We get to the early 20th century uh, that's still not proved. Um, a bunch of American scientists have kind of figured out how this is going to get solved. God bless America. They're going to, right. Their love of country has brought them back to Proving by contradiction. They're going to try to prove the opposite of it. They're going to try to prove that you can't make a map with five colors. Oh, okay. So they have dreamed up a hypothetical map in their heads called the minimum counterexample. The simplest possible map that would need five. Mm -hmm. So now what you have to do is prove that this thing doesn't exist. 
And you'd think that would be harder. Obviously, it's hard to prove a negative. It's easier to find Santa than prove there's no Santa. He could be out there on the tundra. But in this case, that turns out to be the right thing to do. To prove that it doesn't exist. To prove there's no minimum counterexample, no Mm -hmm. simple five-color map. So the problem gets redefined this way. What you're trying to do is find something called the unavoidable set. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you hang out with an unavoidable Uh. set certainly feels that way. An unavoidable set is a collection of all the possible kinds of maps such that you can't make a minimum counterexample without it. The minimum counterexample, whatever map it is, has to have one of these little kinds of subgraphs in it. I see. So it's a little, it's a little graph theory pattern of nodes and borders. And we don't know how big that set is. Maybe but it can be in two dimensions. It has to be in two dimensions. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it's 10, 10 of these. Maybe it's 100,000 of these. But however many there are, it's an unavoidable set of reducible configurations, which wow. means a little kind of a map configuration that can of four colors that can be reduced to a simpler one. Right. And so the proof works this way. If you can, if you can figure out what that group of, unavo- how big that unavoidable set of reducible configurations is, and you know that your minimal counterexample has to have one of these. Yeah. Well, guess what? All these reducible configurations can be reduced to a four-color map. Therefore, you just proved that the minimum counterexample doesn't exist. How do you arrive at the reducible combinations? That is the tricky part. Yeah, I would imagine. Constructing the unavoidable set becomes the whole problem. And that's why nobody solves the problem. Um, Because it seems like there would be, it seems like the unavoidable set would be an infinite number of combinations that all that n- none of them disproved it, but but how would you know if you didn't keep? It's not unavoidable. I mean, it's not. It is unavoidable. It's yeah. not. It's not uh, infinite. Infinite. Like what you've essentially said, I can produce a number of different kinds of little mapping-like patterns, simplified subgraphs, that I can boil the whole thing down into. So like, you wouldn't need to have it. It you seems like there's an infinite number of maps, but actually there's. And there's 68 kinds or 6,800,000 kinds or whatever. Because every duplication of it that's yeah. rotated on uh, exactly. one degree doesn't count as this a This map one. looks different, but actually it's kind of my kind of graph with a small unimportant variation. I see. And in the 1960s, a German guy named Heinrich Heisch actually figures out the way to do it. Like, if I could have a list of all the, the uh, reducible configurations, I could prove that each one contains the subgraph. Right. But he just doesn't have the computing power to do it. This, this, is, guy, this is when? What year? 60s. So if this, you know, supercomputers are starting, room-sized computers are starting to come online, and Heinrich Heisch thinks, if I just had an access to a computer... That had 64K. <laughs> no, boy, that would, that would be a dream. Like, he thinks, I would just be able to step through every element of this unavoidable set, right? prove that they're all reducible configurations, and then I'm good. Who's he working for? The uh, Nazis. The KGB. Yeah. No, we don't know who he's working for. He's, he's, a, he's a university professor in Frankfurt. Or so he's working or at the patent office. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually a professional mathematician. So Heesh's work comes to the attention of two mathematicians, Kenneth Apple and Wolfgang Hocken, at the University of Illinois. At, uh, Kenneth Ur- Apple Urbana-Champagne. and Wolfgang Hocken. Kenneth Apple is what I call myself when I refuse to chase after the uh, the Discordian Apple. <laughs> I'm Kenneth, doesn't want the Apple. Wolfgang Hocken is what I call myself <laughs> when I... Uh... When you join Danzig. <laughs> 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 I 
Hey, I really liked your work on the uh, Lady Hawk soundtrack, John. Thanks for joining Tangerine Dream. And yeah. now I call you Wolfgang Hocken. Bitte schön. And these guys do have computer access. And so they are race, they know they're in a race uh, all over the world. And they... Oh, they're, they're now in a, in a race with other mathematicians to get to the proof of this theorem first. Yes, everyone knows how to do it. The question is, do you constru- how do you construct a convincing set of reducible configurations? How do right. you take the infinity of maps and reduce it to a number? And what is that number? Is it on the order of millions or is it on the order of like... You said 68. 40? Right. It turns out they construct a proof showing that there are 1,936 reducible configurations. Huh. And they feel very confident that if they can check all these configurations and find out that they are indeed four-color colorable and can be simplified into their simplest form into four-color colorable, then guess what? They've just covered all map configurations under the sun. The minimal counterexample does not exist. And they have just proved that there's no five-color map out there. Huh. But is this a proof? Because their strategy is to take They're coming at it backwards. Well, they're going to make a computer do it. They have not been able to come up with an elegant system of this, then this. Oh, so it's not a proof. It's just a, it's just a uh, working. It's kind of a proof. Like they, they know how to write a computer program that will test all 1,936 configurations in brute force. But can they, can they write it in a sentence? Exactly. That's the problem. So when they publish this, they can show how they got their 1,936 possible configurations. But when it comes to... And then the computer proved they were all reducible configurations. It really is just, here's 400 pages of microfiche, right. which is the computer output. So No thanks. Right. So, Step up and do your job, mathematicians. Very hard to verify. So they have the computer run this thing, and guess what? It works. Uh-huh. The University of uh, Illinois is able to announce to great aplomb that after hundreds of years of futility, on June 21st, 1976, the four-color map theorem has been proved. Let me just say that's only a couple of weeks before the U.S. Bicentennial. That's right. (laughs) USA, USA. In fact, I think they held the Bicentennial just to celebrate this. It was going to be kind of a a small, a small affair, you know, with a few friends. They played no more kings. (laughs) And then two weeks before. They marched out there with their, with their dot matrix printout. And then two weeks before, word comes from Urbana Champagne. The the courier arrives saying, hear ye, hear ye. Uh, University of Illinois is very proud. Um, their postmark of all campus mail yeah. reads four colors suffice next, oh. next to the postmark. Just wow, because with a they, flaming sword. They are bragging that it's their supercomputers and not one in Moscow or Stuttgart. That is that still this. true? Is that still their, their, their emblem? On <laughs> yeah. their, <laughs> if, you get a t- if you get a t-shirt at the bookstore or a sweatshirt. <laughs> four colors suffice. It's Latin now. It's like <laughs> quatrum colorum suffisum. <laughs> but this, as you might imagine, this kind of a proof is met with a lot of skepticism in the academic. It's the first time that a theorem has been proved not by cleverly stepping through a bunch of principles to, to, to more complicated principles. But just turning a, a robot dog out on Exactly. Yeah. Turning a computer loose brute force. And Skynet so, and became it's, self-aware. And it's day. very hard to validate because you're, you're saying, here's 400 pages of microfiche, look at the results. Right, go after it, smarties. And, and the, people who compla- the people who complain about this, you know, it's not that they're skeptical of the proof, but they're, they're met with hostility and disbelief that this is what math is now. Right. Is this pop music now? Just <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's old fogeyism, but the math version of it. 
The mathematician Paul Erdish says, I'm not an expert on the four-color problem, but I assume the proof is true. He's, so he's not being skeptical about the proof. However, it's not beautiful. Ah, uh, yes. I'd prefer to see a proof that gives insight into why four colors are sufficient. Agreed. But I have the old fogey problem myself. Erdish wants to look over God's shoulder. Yes. And the idea is that the proof would be enlightening on other axes. And all this has done is answered the problem. Yes, we, we had a million monkeys with a million coloring books. And now we know that you can't do it. Right. But did we explain why you can't do it? No. Did it teach us anything else about related fields? We tried to look over God's shoulder and he moved his shoulder up and over to the side and was like, get off me. God's like, no, no, no. I'll just tell you. I'm God. Yeah. Four colors is fine. And we're like, show your work. And he's like, no, screw you. I'm God. No. I'm not showing my work. No. So the problem was the proof was boring, yes. basically. These people had an, you think all proofs are boring. So. No, no, no. I think proofs are elegant and I would like them to be the exclusive province of mathematicians and that I should never have to do that. <laughs> I understand they are beautif beautiful to people who appreciate their beauty. What You know, actually, I, I get into this a lot, which is that things are beautiful to me and I don't like arguing about them on the internet with people who believe mathematical proofs are beautiful, right? Like I don't go, I don't come into your work and <laughs> slap the mathematical <laughs> proof out of your mouth. But it's, it's funny in, in today's world that people have, people who have no appreciation or education in art are more than happy to waltz over and start making broad pr pronouncements about what constitutes beauty and art. This is going to be a future entry of the uh, omnibus, I think, because there's nothing that is bothering me more nowadays than this math left brain kind of person who has a critique of your movie or painting or album yeah. on, on, on problem solving grounds. Like this is a puzzle. I figured it out. And your song has the following problem or your movie has the following plot holes. And clearly, objectively, I'm right. And nothing... Nothing appalls an artist more than the idea that every art is, is a puzzle. Right. Every work of art is just a puzzle to be solved. But this is the world uh, we live in now, in the post-four-color map theorem world, in which, you know, this is a way we solve problems, by, by turning a computer-loose brute force so was upon it, a problem. So was it never reverse-engineered into a proper proof? That's actually true. And in fact, the original problem, turns out, did have... In the 80s, uh, there were flaws found in their proof. Huh. And the original authors went back and acknowledged the flaws and said, yes, but they're not fatal. Here's actually the final version that takes these criticisms into account. I think they got their number of reducible configurations down from 1900 to about 1400. So, so, it was, so basically their proof was a beta that they crowdsourced a solution to. <laughs> a little bit. But I mean, what is, you know, what is peer review if not hmm. crowdsourcing? And I think in the 90s, maybe there was a version that uh, is slightly more, makes the, the first step slightly more elegant, gives you 633 reducible con uh, configurations oh, that's instead nice. of 1900. That seems like a readable number. But you still have to let a computer loose on all of them. Right. So basically, you're believing a computer program. And mathematicians and computer people have no problem with that. But it's, it's just a, a weird result that, you know, something so simple a child could understand, it turns out... The only way to explain it mathematically is just, you know, brute force, thousands of, of processor hours. The only winning move is not to play. 
And that concludes the four-color map problem. Entry 495.NU2653. Certificate number 28876 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, you will probably be posting hilarious proofs of the four-color math problem in two elegant sentences and making one another chortle your deep Cthulhu chortles. If they're, I mean, if they're higher dimensional, they're probably... Oh, well, they don't even know what two dimensions are. So they're like, what kind of dumb problem is this? Yeah, I'm sure in in n-dimensional space, you know, they, they probably have a 650 color map problem. Yeah, and why would they care how many? I mean, I guess it's all over God's shoulder, right? So it's so you should be able to answer this question across however many dimensions you have. Plus, everybody loves maps. If there's one thing that I'm confident will hold for future listeners, whether they are four-dimensional crystals right. or, um, you know, venomous barnacles, can you imagine, they're going to love maps. Can you imagine the mycological map of a giant, like, 10-acre fungus? Fungus brain? All of the different little little tendrils you would be following? Ugh, I want to see that map now. Well, you can map us on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds, uh, at Omnibus Project, at Ken Jennings, and at John Roderick. Ken and I do not tag ourselves in physical locations because we do not want uh, weirdos to sneak up on us when we're eating oysters in some Seattle hipster bar. But you can tell where we've been by the topicality of our tweets. Also, you can go to my uh, Instagram feed and party on with me. Ken isn't really there except as a lurker. Sorry. Uh, Also, like, his feed is all creep shots. Uh, and you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Go to our fan group, uh, The Futurelings, on um, on the Facebook, where they are debating the four-color map problem as we speak. And you can send us your mycological samples, please don't, at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We're wasting all our processor time on hypothetical topology. So, you know, instead of figuring out uh, how to divert the asteroid. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like each recording in this series, may be our final word to you. But, if Providence allows, if he allows us to look over his shoulder and then preserves us for another day, We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.